1 Corinthians 4, verse 8 to 13. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign. And that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we might also reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Uh, my name is also Dave. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you. Um, I've been thinking this week about how in life there is only really two types of people. I don't know, I don't know if you know this before. There's only really two types of people in this world. There are winners and there are losers. Now this was made abundantly clear to me when I was just 17, year old, 17 years old, kind of the age of, of some of the youth kids here, like your son or your daughter perhaps here at church. I was just 17 years old. See, growing up in Dubbo, I played rugby union as a kid for the Dubbo Roos. Oh, I've got a few Dubbo Roos supporters out there. That's good to hear. And look, we were a pretty decent side, to be honest. We won the under-13s Premiership Grand Final. We, we won the under-15s Premiership Grand Final two years later. And in 2006, we were playing our arch enemy, the mighty Mudgy Wombats in the under-17s Premiership Grand Final. Don't be fooled, wombats are vicious animals and the mudgy wombats were vicious, that's for sure. And look, the match was one of those low-scoring arm wrestle kind of matches that rugby can be. Neither team was giving much away. They'd pull ahead and then we'd respond. We'd pull ahead and then they would claw back in front. It was one of those games that hung in the balance. One of those games you knew was going to come down to just one moment. One moment would determine who were the winners and who were the losers in this game. And with just two minutes left in the game, that moment arrived. My team, the Ruse, was down eight points to six and it looked like we were going to be the losers until we got a penalty. About 30 metres out from the try line, 15 metres in from the sideline, which gave us a chance to kick a three-point goal and be winners, be champions, nine points to eight. And who was responsible for taking that kick? You guessed it. Little old freckle-faced red-headed me. Look at that. What a specimen. <laughs> you know, these are the moments when you actually work out what type of man you are, right? The pressure's on, all eyes are on you, success and failure, it hangs literally upon your boot laces. These are the moments when you work out if you're going to be a winner or a loser in life. Now I can still remember that moment as clear as day. I still remember the feeling of my, my heart thumping in my chest as I put the ball down on the tee. I can still hear the crowd of at least 50,000 strong people there <laughs> screaming and heckling. 
as I took three steps back and two steps to the right, got in my Johnny Wilkinson pose right there. I still remember the hush that fell over the entire ground as I stood at the top of my mark. And I still can feel the sweet connection of the leather ball against my boot. How in that moment all of time stood still. I can still see it as clear as day, the ball sailing through the sky, hurtling towards the goalpost, end over end over end, sailing towards victory, sailing towards another premiership for the Roos, sailing towards relative greatness for a 17-year-old growing up in Dubbo, and then sailing just inches, inches wide of the post. I missed. We lost. I had lost the game for us. And look, at that time, I've got to admit, you know, that was one of the worst feelings anyone could ever feel. Now, I know it's just football, right? And people have, people have real problems in life. But as a 17-year-old kid, this was massive for me. I felt so embarrassed. I felt like I'd let my whole team down, my whole city down, right? If you can call Dubbo a city. Especially when the next day the local paper actually published an article on the back page of the newspaper in big black bold letters and it read, Robertson misses match winning kick. <laughs> but who cares? I, I don't think about it. It doesn't, you know, whatever. Whatever. I like to say I've moved on from that devastating moment, but... I do think about it from time to time, especially when I see my old teammates, because one of the least enjoyable things you can be in this world is a loser, right? It's the, one of the worst feelings you can have is the feeling that you are a loser, whether it's on the sporting field or in your work or at school or amongst your family, friends or peers, even here at church. There's this innate human desire that we all possess, isn't there? To want to be impressive, to want to be successful, to want to be intelligent and wise in our own eyes and in the eyes of those around us, to want to be one of life's winners. It's just part of being human to want to be a winner in life, isn't it? But look, this is part of the big, part of the thing that's causing so many problems for the church in Corinth that we've been looking at over the past few weeks as we've been working our way through Corinthians. There's, one of the things that is causing them a lot of problems is this desire they have to be winners in life. Because it's, it's leading the Corinthians to think and act like they are kings. Just have a look there in our passage there in verse 8 of chapter 4. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign and that without us. And look, at first glance, it kind of seems, it's hard to see what Paul is actually saying here, right? Because it kind of seems like Paul is, is giving the Corinthians a massive compliment. Well, what it sounds like he's saying here is you guys are winners in the game of life. You're smart. You're rich. You're successful. You, you reign like kings who could have everything they ever wanted at their fingertips. But when you stop and think about it, especially if you've been here over the past few weeks, it's it's kind of tricky to work out what Paul actually means by this, isn't it? Because he could be talking about the Corinthians' earthly richness, their material wealth, their possessions and their success, right? The problem is back in chapter 2, Paul seems to say when the Corinthians came to follow Jesus, they weren't impressive 
in a worldly sense. They weren't successful or wise or intelligent or anything like that. Or it could be that Paul is talking about their spiritual richness. He's already made the point in chapter 1 that the Corinthians have been enriched with all kinds of gifts and wisdom and knowledge and insights. But again, in, in Corinthians, Paul's been getting stuck into the Corinthians, hasn't he? For thinking they are wiser and more intelligent and more gifted than they are. And look, compared to Paul, as we're going to see a little bit later on, the Corinthians were more successful. They were more impressive. They appeared more gifted than him. In fact, one of the big problems we saw last week was that the Corinthians were judging their leaders, and especially Paul, precisely because of the fact he wasn't impressive, at least compared to them. Compared to Paul, there is a sense in which the Corinthians were like kings. They were like winners in this life. But yet, in another sense, we see here the Corinthians weren't really reigning at all. Just have a look there in verse 9 at how Paul continues. Paul says, How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. See what's going on? See, while the Corinthians may have been more impressive than Paul, whilst they may have thought they were like kings in this world, Paul reminds them here that the time for reigning as Christians, the time for being winners as Christians, has not yet begun. One of the most incredible ideas that Christians today don't often think about is that there is a day coming in the future when we will reign like kings. It's amazing. When Christ comes to make all things new, God says that on that day we will be like kings reigning over the new creation alongside Jesus. You get a sense of it right in chapter 6 verse 2 when Paul says to the Corinthians, do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you're competent to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? In fact, it's even more explicit in the passage we looked at a couple of weeks ago at Big Sunday 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 to 12, where Paul says, Here is a trustworthy saying, If we died with him, if we died with Christ, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. One of the most incredible things that the Bible holds out as a promise for us as Christians is that all those who trust in Jesus will one day rule over the new creation like kings with Christ. Where there'll be no more pain or suffering or mourning or crying. There'll be no more ignorance and folly. No more foolishness or stupidity that's caused by sin. We'll be rich physically in the physical sense. We'll be rich in the spiritual sense. We'll be fully satisfied on that day in God because of Jesus. But the point Paul is making here in 1 Corinthians is that that day has not yet come. That day has not yet arrived for us. The time for winning, the time for reigning as Christians, that's a day we look forward to in the future. See, on first glance, it seems like Paul, this passage is Paul paying the Corinthians a massive compliment. Paul says, you guys are kings in this life, at least compared to me. But in reality, what he's doing is sounding a very stern warning. He's warning the Corinthians 
against the danger of thinking that they had already arrived, against the danger of thinking that the time for reigning is now, the danger of expecting to be winners in this life, of desiring to be impressive and successful and intelligent and wise. Paul's warning them against that. That's the temptation for the Corinthians, right? And isn't that what we've seen over the past few weeks? As they boast about their leaders, as they judged their leaders, and especially Paul, based on how impressive and gifted and charismatic they were, they were acting like they were already kings. They were thinking that what mattered most in this life was winning in an earthly sense. And you know, the thing is, that kind of thinking about Christianity still exists today, doesn't it? There's this idea that's often peddled in Christian circles, even in our own country, in our own city, in fact, that Christians should expect their lives to be great. I don't know if you've come across this, but you you see it really clearly, most clearly in teachings like the prosperity gospel. You know those movements, those health and wealth movements, name it and claim it movements, heaven on earth kind of ideas. Essentially, the narrative goes something like this, right? Christ is the king of the universe. He rules. He reigns over everything. He won great victory for us at the cross, didn't he? And if that's true, then as his people, we should expect great victory in this life. We should expect our lives to be amazing. We should expect to be successful in everything we do. We should expect that God would bless us in an earthly sense. That's the extreme end of the narrative that some people teach about Christianity, right? And it's appealing. That's super appealing to us, isn't it? Because no one wants to be a loser. That's why these movements have millions of worldwide followers. People eat that stuff up because we all want to be winners in this life. You know, I don't think we're likely to be that extreme in our church circle here. But I do think we can drink a little watered-down version of the cordial, can't we? Which goes something like, well, you know, I'm not expecting my life to be excellent. I'm not expecting it to be amazing, but I do expect that it's not going to be that hard. The, The cost of following Jesus, it won't be that costly. It really shouldn't be that difficult to pursue Jesus. I can follow Jesus and live a comfortable life too. That's the watered-down, cordial version, isn't it? The older I get, uh, the truth is the more tempting that version of Christianity becomes to me. Especially when I consider that compared to the Corinthians, I am more of a winner in this life than they ever were. This is the crazy thing as I've been thinking about this passage and wrestling with this passage this week. The crazy thing is that from a worldly point of view, we are more like kings than they were. We're more successful, aren't we? We're more impressive. We're healthier. We're wealthier. We're better educated than they could ever have been. Not just in an earthly sense, but in a spiritual sense too. We have access to the scriptures in a way that they would dream of. We get wonderful teaching from our maturity team, don't we? Great depth and insight into what God's word says. I think if the Corinthians walked through these doors today of church, they would envy us. They would say that we are the kings of this life. 
And look, it's not that any of that is bad in and of itself. In fact, it's an incredible act of God's kindness towards us that should lead us to humble gratitude towards God. I'm not saying any of that is bad. But it's worth recognising that God's great blessing to us in this life here and now also brings with it a very, very grave danger. The danger that we start to think we're already there. We're already here. We've arrived. The danger that we start to think and act like we're kings, that we expect and we want and we pursue success in this life. It's the danger that we end up wanting to be winners in this life more than we want to see Jesus' name glorified. In fact, that's precisely the point that Paul makes in the rest of this passage. In the rest of this passage, what Paul does is, his big point is that whilst being a winner in this life is nice, there are some things that are more important. In fact, there is one thing that it is worth being a loser for. Just look there again in chapter 4, verse 9, at how Paul describes his life to the Corinthians. He says, you have everything you want. You, have, you reign already. But verse 9, but it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty, we're in rags, we're brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we cursed, we blessed. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up until this moment. You see how Paul thinks about the Christian life here. You see what he thinks matters most to him, what he says is most important for us in this life. It's not being a winner. It's Jesus. It's Christ. For Paul, it's fulfilling his apostolic ministry of of making Christ known, proclaiming the gospel for the sake of the lost and for the sake of the church. This matters so much to Paul that though it would be nice for him to be a winner in this life, he's willing to be a loser for that sake. He's willing to be weak and pathetic. He's willing to be foolish and dishonest. He's willing to suffer persecution and be ridiculed, to go without food and water and a place to sleep. In fact, he says, my life as an apostle is, is less like that of a king and it's more like that of a prisoner. It's more like that of a captured, conquered slave. He says, we're like those who have been captured by a rival king who has come in and and they've overthrown a country and they've destroyed it. And and now that king is returning to his own country victorious. And he's leading all the captives right behind him in this great parade of his strength and might. And us, he says, us apostles, even we, we're not even at the start of that captured group. We're right at the end of the parade. We're right at the end of the procession, last in line, like those condemned to fight it out and die in the arena. We're the lowest of the low. We're the garbage. 
with a scum, like something you scrape off the bottom of your shoe, like a, a, a loaf of mouldy bread or a piece of rotten fruit that you just throw in the trash and discard. Far from being winners in this life, kings in this life, for the sake of Jesus and his gospel, Paul says we've become the biggest losers in the world. Now can you see the difference in mindset between Paul and the Corinthians? Can you see the different priorities, what they value in this life, what's important to them? The Corinthians were boasting in how impressive their leaders were. They were wanting to seem successful and intelligent and impressive and wise. They were thinking of themselves wanting to be kings and winners, pursuing that kind of life. But Paul says, no, the only thing that matters is Jesus. The only thing that matters is his glory, his kingdom, his gospel, his church, to such an extent that, man, I'm happy to be a loser. I'm happy to have nothing to be no one if it furthers Christ's name and kingdom. Now again, I want to make sure we don't get the wrong idea here. It's not that Paul pursues suffering and hardship. That's not what Paul's saying. It's not that he wants to be a loser in the eyes of the world. Because just as there is a brand of Christianity that says you should expect your life to be easy and amazing... There's also a brand of Christianity that idolizes martyrdom, idolizes suffering for the sake of those things in themselves. Throughout history, one of the great mistakes that Christians have sometimes made is to think that self-denial and suffering are good in and of themselves. As if any good thing or pleasure that life has to offer is bad and should be avoided. But that's not what Paul is actually talking about. That's not what he's encouraging here. It's not that Paul pursues suffering, hardship, humiliation as the end in itself. It's that he pursues Jesus even when those things come with it. It's that it's worth him being a loser in this life here and now if it means the gospel will go out. If it means the glory and honour of Jesus is proclaimed. So that's the real danger for the Corinthians that Paul's trying, trying to ungress, trying to address. An unwillingness to become a loser for Jesus. An unwillingness to appear as a fool for Christ. A kind of pride in their hearts that desires appearing successful, appearing intelligent, being kings in this life, winners in this world, above the glory and honour of Jesus' name. And so here's the question that I think this passage really asks of us. I think the question this passage asks of us is, are you willing to be a loser for Jesus? Are you in for that? And Paul, sure, Paul's talking specifically about himself as an apostle here, but he's also setting an example for all Christians to follow. That's what he says down in verse 15. He says, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. A willingness to be a loser for Jesus isn't just a Paul thing. It's not just an apostle thing. It's not just for the, the highest of the Christians, right? The leaders and things like that. It's a Christian thing. One day we will reign with Christ in the new creation, but in this life, we must be willing to be losers for his sake. 
So are you in? Have you made that decision? Has Jesus so captured your heart? Does he hold such a central place in your life? Do you love Jesus so much that you're at peace with pursuing him in this life, even if it means you'll end up being a loser? Knowing one day, yeah, sure, you'll reign with him, but for now, following your king means walking a costly, sacrificial, unimpressive road. You know, I was trying to think what this looks like for us in real time here at HBC, at AM. Because there's a million different ways you could apply this, you know. We could talk about a willingness to stand up for Jesus in a culture that is growing more hostile towards him. We could talk about what to do with our money and our possessions, where we choose to live, how we choose to raise our kids, what we teach them to value in life. We could talk about making sacrifices with our time and our retirements for the sake of our ministries around church. We talk about even things like potentially going into full-time ministry or doing something like harvest, becoming missionaries, uprooting the family and going to places where they don't have the gospel yet. We could talk about our inner church dynamics here, who we're willing to invest with, what we're willing to do here at church, how we see ourselves as a church compared to other churches and what they're doing. In one sense, there's lots of ways we could put flesh on what this looks like day to day. But, but in another sense, this is actually really hard to do. Because everyone's context is different, isn't it? Everyone's situation is different. And success is not bad, we've made that point, but a heart that pursues it above Jesus is bad. And we want to avoid the opposite extreme at the same time, right? Where only the true Christians are martyrs who deny themselves and any good thing for Christ. So working out what that looks like day to day in each of our contexts is actually kind of complex. And as I've been reflecting on this this week in, in my own life and wanting to push it into my own heart, I reckon where this really lands most of the time, what it really comes down to most of the time, is actually how we go about making decisions in our life. How do we make decisions about what we do with everything we have, with these brief 60, 70, 80 years that we're here? How do we make decisions that actually put Jesus first, even when they come at a cost to us? Because that, that in itself is also complex, though. Don't hear me. Decisions are often more grey than they are black and white. And there's a place for wisdom and all those kinds of things. Plus, you've got to acknowledge we're all a work in progress. And, and we were warned last week about being too quick to judge one another because we can't see what's going on, another, on in one another's hearts. But I think the key to living a life where we are constantly wanting to put Jesus first, where we're constantly wanting to pursue his glory, even when it comes at a cost to our own, is actually inviting Jesus into the decisions that we're making in our lives. The big decisions that govern the entire direction of your life. And the little decisions too that we make day to day. I think this lands in our decision to stop in those moments and ask the question, well, Jesus, what would you want here? What would most glorify your name here? 
And now that can be tricky to work out, but I think this is a point where we can actually help each other. Because one of the greatest gifts God has given to us is our family, right? And we can help each other in this decision by inviting one another into that decision-making process too. As we wrestle with those kinds of decisions, invite each other into the conversations. Grab your brother and sister in Christ. You could say something like, Hey, Joe, I've really been wrestling with a decision about this lately. And I'm, often, I'm after some input from a Christian friend who I trust about how I can best love Jesus here. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's where I'm up to in wrestling with it. What do you think? And of course, we work hard here at not being judgmental of one another because we're, we are works in progress. We work hard at understanding all the factors coming into that decision. But we bring the Bible into that too. We let the Bible speak into that discussion. And we talk it out and we pray it out together so that by God's grace, we might make decisions that are thoughtful, considered, wise, yes, but also also decisions that put Jesus first, even when it means we might end up like losers. God has given us such a wonderful gift here of a Christian family who love us, who love Jesus. And we'd be crazy not to take advantage of that as we seek to live our lives for him, as we seek day by day to put him first, no matter the cost to ourselves. Because in many ways, we're not that difficult to the Corinthians here, are we? We're just as drawn to that desire to be winners in this life. We're just as tempted to avoid being losers for the sake of Jesus. But when you know what's in store in your future, when you know that one day you will reign with Jesus when he comes to make all things new, when you're so in love with him here, so captivated by his goodness and his glory and his honor and his grace, well, then we can start to make decisions where we're willing to be losers for the sake of his name. Why don't we pray? Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, you know our hearts and you know we are so tempted to want to be winners in this life to want to pursue success, to want to appear intelligent, to want to be impressive in, in all kinds of ways. In our work, on the sporting field, in our relationships with one another, in our church, in the eyes of the world, there is this deep desire with us, Father, to want to be winners. And Father, we pray that instead you would help us to fix our eyes upon Jesus. We pray that he would mean more to us than winning in this life ever could. And we pray that would lead us to make decisions which want to put him first, even when they come at great cost to us, even when it means we might appear as losers in the eyes of this world. And we thank you so much that he has promised a day when we will reign with him in the new creation. Help us to pursue him now wholeheartedly as we wait for him to come and bring us home.